Hello, audiobook fans. Welcome to another episode of Harper Audio Presents. I am beyond excited for today's episode because we're taking a look at my personal favorite genre of art, be it books, movies, graphic novels, you name it, and that's sci-fi. There's something about the speculative nature of sci-fi and all of its subgenres that makes the gears in my brain turn, and I suspect that that feeling is mutual for the masses who flock to sci-fi. Later in the episode, we'll give you a double creature feature of clips from brand new sci-fi audiobooks from Harper Voyager. There's going to be a litany of creatures involved, some subterranean, others of the genetically engineered variety, so stay tuned for that. But first, we're excited to bring you an interview with the authors of The Brink, Darren Wearmouth, and star of Impractical Jokers, James S. Murray, a.k.a. Murr. We have a great time talking our favorite sci-fi touchstones, why the subway is a perfect location for terror, and so much more. Plus, we play a game of sci-fi plots called Why Sci-Fi Why, and let me tell you, this might be the best game that we've had on the show thus far. So, sit back and enjoy the dynamic duo of James S. Murray and Darren Wearmouth. The first most important question is, I know you guys are, are fresh off of uh, signing a bunch of books, so how do your hands feel? We feel great. <laughs> we yeah. feel great. Yeah, yeah. We're ready to sign a thousand more. We've been doing wrist training for months. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're men. We've been wrist training our whole lives, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask what your go-to wrist training uh, move is, but I you think know, you just answered that. Signing so, books. Yeah. <laughs> signing books. Yeah, of course. What else could I be alluding to? Yeah. Um, so the, the new book is The Brink. It is the follow-up to uh, Awakened. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that in the opening of this, there is a a sequence where there is a opening of a new subway line in New York City, and it's disrupted by bloodthirsty creatures. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to know what is worse, bloodthirsty creatures or riding the subway? Uh, I should mention, this is a nonfiction book, yeah, by the yeah. way. <laughs> it is. Uh, Currently, you know, as of now. I'll tell yeah. you what, you take the 4 or 5 train on a hot, uh, hot day in like rush hour, that's mm-hmm. got to be worse than creatures in the subway, don't you think? That's... Yeah, absolutely. We went up to Union Square yesterday. Last night. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I, was, I was like a sauna on the platform. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you actually have a good idea. We should put, if, you, if somebody put like a, a steam room in the subway, right, <laughs> then people would pay money to go, right? You pay money to go to these things in a, in a gym or something. Mm-hmm. That's it. You, it's, just, it's just all decor. That's all you got to do. Yeah, yeah. You go and it's cool down. I mean, I was wanting a creature to end me, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're calling for the creature at that point. Um, uh, I'll mention this since you mentioned that you called out the four uh, by name. Nathan, who was just in here uh, helping us set up the mics, uh, just minutes before you guys came in, showed me that on his train in today that... Uh, Someone uh, took a poop in the middle of the subway <laughs> yeah. oh. while he was on it. So I don't know if this uh, will if this will make the they this haven't is gonna get edited out. <laughs> <laughs> I hit every seventh day. They don't catch me. <laughs> um, so so where does the impetus for this story come from? I know that uh, Awakened the first draft came some time ago, fourteen years ago. Yeah, is that I wrote right? it in two. Gosh, it's got to be two thousand four. I spent yeah. a year writing the first draft. It was called Subterranean back then, mm-hmm. and uh, I tried to get it published and. I wasn't on TV. I wasn't on Impractical Jokers, yeah, and that helps. no one would read it. <laughs> no one would read it. I could, it got returned to me unopened 
by everyone. That was, that was a, a defeat. Uh, so it sat on my computer for 14 years, literally. <laughs> and uh, then one day I was like, whatever happened to that novel? I picked it up, opened it. I was like, you know, this is really good. Sent the same book into HarperCollins then. They bought it. They liked <laughs> so it more then. They I liked wonder, it really, yeah. yeah, I got a little more attention. And then they paired me with this uh, handsome, debonair, yeah. devilishly uh, well-accented <laughs> gentleman to my left, Mr. <laughs> Darren Weirmouth. I was going to ask how you guys also, uh, how you guys were introduced and how you met. This is the like when Harry met Sally part of this we podcast. We met on Tinder believe it or not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he can only get away with Call Me Handsome and Debonair on a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we, you know, we, uh, HarperCollins gave me a list of names of folks that they loved working with and mm-hmm. loved their writing skills and styles. And uh, Darren and I clicked immediately when we met uh, over FaceTime from 6,000 miles apart. And then in person, we clicked immediately. We like a lot of the same things. A lot of the, we're roughly the same age. We have a lot of the same uh, interests in movies and TV shows. And mm-hmm. it just was an immediate uh, love affair. Yeah. And we, we've been married now for three years since. <laughs> no, but seriously, on Valentine's Day, we watched Terminator 1 and with some take yeah, yeah. <laughs> Guess who did not get laid? These guys. <laughs> so, so there has been some time since you did the first draft. And actually, let me ask: What you said it, it remained on your computer for that amount of time? What kind of file was that? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, curious, I, I'm, I'm surprised you got it to open. Yeah. It was a, it, it was a Word 1990 version. Oh, you know? How many times did you have to like put it, was it through a Windows a file 95 converter? file? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah, I had to upgrade it constantly. But thank God I didn't like lose my laptop or something like that. You know, yeah, just kept getting saved from laptop to laptop over the years. That's amazing. That's you know? actually the most impressive part of yeah. the story. I feel yeah. like. Um, what is what is it like now working as a team writing as opposed to two times that you have written? on your own. You know, I think we've got a really, well, we have a complementary style of writing, mm-hmm. but I think we've also got a good rhythm going in terms of how we write books, right? Yeah, we've got a good process going. Um, there's certain parts uh, that, I mean, James has got uh, all the pace and the dialogue and everything like that. And obviously the mind's a little bit more wooden for New Yorkers. <laughs> <so it doesn't, laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, we, we write our favorite parts and then the other uh, one of us can go over it and we go through the chapters like that um, consequently and pass them between each other and it gets created like that. It's, it's funny. When Darren, you know, Darren lives in Manchester mm-hmm. and uh, so, but when we're writing together, he lives in my apartment, right? So <laughs> Which is better, his he's apartment in the or Manchester? Oh, his apartment. The, the drinks cabinet <laughs> is huge. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I always know when Darren's, the best story about Darren Wearmouth is one day to celebrate it and congratulate us on, on a new book. He brings me back I wake up in the morning, there's a bottle of wine and a bottle of Jameson on my counter. He goes, congrats, my friend, these are for you. Mm-hmm. I came back from filming Jokers that night. Both bottles have been drunk, they were gone. <laughs> he drank his own bottle of wine and gave to me as a gift. I was like, oh, congratulations Son of a- to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we were both in this, and like, yeah. he, he wasn't there when I opened it. <laughs> so, it's, yeah, it's your fault, really, for, yeah, for not so. being I'm, there. I'm How, the dare enabler. You? <laughs> How dare you go to work? Yeah. Um, so I, I know that you guys are both students of sci-fi and horror uh, like writ large. So, how did you guys get interested in that genre to begin with? And like, what what are your go to sci fi like touchstones? I mean, I, I loved horror growing up. I loved the original Fr- uh, Friday the Thirteenth and Nightmare mm-hmm. on Elm Street. I was a huge fan of the Alien movies, uh, Terminator, of course. Well, I was I thought it was brilliant. Uh, and, and The Matrix changed my life when it came out. Uh, Event Horizon I loved, and The Descent I loved, and I I I I I, I, I Totally fell for Blair Witch when it came out. Yeah. Totally. Like, I was working at NBC at the time, and I got an email to my NBC email address, and it was this, you have to watch this clip. And it was the the, the leaked footage yeah. from Blair Witch, and we all fell for it. It stopped down work at NBC, no joke. Oh. 
Oh, it's cool. I mean, with me, uh, very much the same. I, I used to love going to the video shop and hang. First, I'd ask for a free poster, and then <laughs> just like hang out in the section where they have all the horror. A, a lot of like the zombie ones early, but my brother had a bookshelf. He's four years older than me. He had a lot of Stephen King, uh, James Herbert, rats, and things like that. And when I was younger, I, I don't know. I kind of. Uh, I just loved the thrilling aspect of it and the speculative nature. You know, it just t- took your mind to other places and scared you as well. Like, mm. we, we talk about Nightmare on Street 1 all the time um, because... It's terrifying. You, you have to put yourself back in mm-hmm. the mindset of when the first came out yeah. before it became kitschy, if you can almost transport your brain to that. Yeah. But that was terrifying when the girl's being dragged down the hallway, the that, body bag. That's the shot that I think it, of. That, that shot terrified me and yeah. it still terrifies me. Better than the bed throwing the, up Johnny Depp. Sure. That's kind of, spoiler alert, I guess. <laughs> chapter one of the break is a direct homage to Johnny Depp getting killed in, in that movie. You kill Johnny Depp in the first yeah, chapter? Do. <laughs> yeah, he, he appears in the brink. <laughs> Fictional. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's, for me, it was when he burst out with the mirror. As well, oh, yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It jumped out of my skin. And mm. it's, yeah, I think it, it works just because that has the, the best uh, horror like tagline of all time. Maybe not tagline, but just the idea of like, uh, you can see the movie and be like, that wasn't that scary. But when you go to sleep, yeah, there's no way you can't cr- not you can't think stop. about it. Oh, mm. It's so beautiful. Um, so, so we're talking about that genre, about sci-fi and horror kind of being your wheelhouse. Uh, I'm curious if there might be another genre out there you guys would like to try to tackle. We were that- just talking about it before. Should we write a romance together? They yeah, sell. Th- I think so. We could like two... Two um, writers, like, separated by an ocean, but, like, brought together by love. Star-crossed <laughs> writers. <laughs> it's kind of like the lake house. I think it's kind of what yeah. you're, you're describing Instead of uh, the Titanic, it's us on the Staten Island Ferry. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the king of the Hudson. <laughs> I figured that would be the third part in your trilogy about we're thinking, this. Yeah, we're thinking just, of doing a tonal shift for the third <laughs> installment. Um, what legitimately scares you guys? Mm-mm. Good question. Do you have any, like, a... Uh, Real fears? I mean, I'm terrified of skydiving heights. Yeah, yeah heights, my legs go. Sharks. Yeah. yeah. Um, Jaws did a number of me as a kid. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, heights, sharks. Um, I often uh, have a dream about falling over, just wake up jumping. I mean, has that ever happened to you? Yeah, no, that, that's what uh, being hungover does to you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, well, that happened last night. It's, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I mean, uh, yeah, snakes being wrapped up by a boa constrictor and oh, uh, yeah. you know, moving down your head. I'm just doing yeah. the hand movement here. You can't see it. <laughs> you know, a movie I was obsessed with, and I, but this would be terrifying death, but it's also amazing. Firestarter by yes. Stephen yeah. King, the Drew Barrymore one. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, what a great movie! We have to remake that. Let's do it. Yeah, let's get a GoFundMe to redo it. We're going to remake all of the the Stephen King movies. I feel like yeah. are just going to like coming out. Uh, I mean, Pet Cemetery just got remade. Did I you feel see it? like I have not seen it yet. It, no. was, it was pretty good. Yeah, they changed the ending a bit. Uh, I know that James, that you narrated the audiobook for both Awakened and The Brink, mm-hmm. and I'm curious what that experience was like for you. If if it was harder than you imagined, or it was much harder than I imagined. I had never done anything like that in my life. It's there's nothing comparable. That like the guys and I perform on tour on stage. That's not the same. We're on TV. That's not the same. Doing press interviews is not the same. Mm-hmm. It, book readings is not the same. There's nothing like it being, because you you have to be reading ahead and still know how – that way you can use the right inflections as you're reading the rest of the line, you yeah. know. And, and a lot of times you pick up on bad language that you've read. You're like, oh, <laughs> shit, that, <laughs> I could have done that, that better, you know. It's convoluted <laughs> sentences, things like that. You're like, it, it, it is nothing like I've ever done in my life. It is the first day – 
the first couple hours, it was the hardest. You know, I'm sweating. You're in this tight little booth. You're sweating. And then a lot of the characters in our, in our first book were French. And I can't do a French <laughs> accent. So I just sounded like the candlestick from Beauty and the Beast. I was like, oui, oui, monsieur, your guest. <laughs> it was ridiculously stereotypical. And um, it, it is a, uh, you become better at it the more you do mm -hmm. it. It is a, an acquired skill. Uh, and I have great respect for narrators who do it for a living. Yeah. It is an acquired skill and really a talent that you have to have. But I got better as I did it. Mm -hmm. Has it made you guys uh, write differently in this third book? Being I like, oh, I so. was going to write this accent, but let me take, like, if I can't perform it, I'm taking it out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, th I think uh, we're po possibly after our watching you doing it, it's made me shorten sentences a little bit. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sometimes you get lost in the sentence, and it's easy on the page to the reader follow, to follow. But mm -hmm. you're listening to it, you're like, "That is a run-on sentence. That's terrible." <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like in your head and like visually, mentally, because you, you can build it all up. I mean, you can miss out words, and if you're reading the sentence, like "said" is invisible and things like that. But then when you hear it, it's totally different. And I totally get it when you were talking about the language. Yeah, um, but we did have a German character in our book, <laughs> and that accent's killing me. I was like. Nyein, nyein. <laughs> it's awful. Yeah. That's I don't do that accent well either. But that is <laughs> no, my root does. word. Is everything? Everyone's root word to German is nine. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Darren, are there any accents that you do? Are we going to get you? Well, Darren does a wicked New York accent. Oh, no, no. yes, he does. Yeah. He's going to do it for it. you right now. Yeah, exactly. In three, two, one, go. Yeah, uh, g'day, mate. I'll throw another shrimp <laughs> on the bar. <laughs> New York? That's, that's a day, mate. That's, a that's drunk. Paul Hogan from uh, Crocodile Dundee. <laughs> yeah. That's a drunk New Yorker going into like an Outback Steakhouse in Times Square. I don't think there is one in Times Square, but that I wouldn't be shocked if there was. Yeah, no, yeah. yeah, you nailed it. That's exactly what I was trying to go for. <laughs> um, so I know The Brink is the, the second in the series, and it just came out. It's on sale now. But I'm more concerned with the future. Mm. So is there anything you can tell us about the third uh, book. Man, you know, the, th the second book is all about, about heroes and villains. It's yeah. uh, uh, taking down the evil uh, mastermind behind the entire conflict, behind, behind these creatures around the world. And the third book is about, poses the question, what happens when you take down the man who's been keeping these creatures at bay? Mm -hmm. Well, the shit hits the fans, what happens. <laughs> it is uh, all out chaos. It's, it's, it's uh, probably, we might call it something like the rising or uh, something like that, but mm -hmm. it's the creatures rise and there can only be one apex predator on the planet. Who's it going to be? It's going to be Predator from the Predator. It's movies, going to right? be That's Predator. That's the Apex Predator. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Alien vs. Predator. <laughs> Speaking of another movie that just got rebooted again, um, can I ask you one Impractical Jokers question? Please. And that's it. That's all I'm Please. going to allow myself. <laughs> uh, so I'm curious about how do you guys adjust to the fact that as the show keeps going, gets more and more popular, that people are recognizing you while taping? It, it makes our job harder, for, harder yeah. for sure. It 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 We go... Sometimes you're performing a scene and the person recognizes you halfway through and you have to throw it out. How many reshoots do you have to do? We shoot probably three or four days a week. Mm -hmm. uh, how many reshoots do yeah, you have yeah. to do? Yeah, yeah. Has it like increased it, over yeah, the time? For sure, yeah, sure. But we have ways, we have little, little tricks to get around it. Mm -hmm. So like if you're walking into the next room to go to a focus group, right? Yeah. You don't realize it's part of the TV show. I'll be on my phone in the hallway just randomly texting as you walk by. 
And if you recognize me, we pull you out of the room before you get into the room where all the other people are that don't recognize me. So that way we keep the show pure and we don't infect the rest of the room. Yeah. So we have little tricks like that help a lot. We've changed the nature of the show too. We we don't film in part in like um, baseball stadiums anymore. Yeah. Where malls are really hard too. We stay behind the scenes. And a lot of times people don't. Malls are closing, so it's harder yeah, to, yeah, to they're film all closed, Yeah. <laughs> we don't film in Sam Goody anymore or, or Circuit City anymore. Tower Records is out. We stay out of Tower Records. The shack. Yeah. You know. So <laughs> we try to stay away from stores that are closed down. Uh, no, but it's it, it is definitely harder. The, the Joker's movie comes out soon mm -hmm. uh, in theaters, and that'll make it really hard. But I tell you what, these are really good problems to have. Yeah. <laughs> it means so, the show's popular. So fans who want to be in uh, in the segments that you do, you just heard. If if you recognize any of them, just look down and don't don't no, cough up. No, no way. Yeah, you can't get trick out of there. Us. We've never yeah. been tricked. Because remember, this camera's watching you like five minutes before we even go up yeah. to you, and 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 then we're watching you so carefully and people can't act normal if they they do this the thing they'll look up you can't see this but I'll describe what I'm doing mm -hmm. I'm going to yeah. look up and recognize Darren <laughs> and then I'm going to pretend I don't know him mm -hmm. this is what pe real people do they go <laughs> they're like their eyes light up and they try to stay and cool because they, they realize like, and like you, know, you yeah. jerk I know you know me <laughs> did you feel like he knew you for sure when when he just pulled that move well, I mean, I, yeah, I was, a, I was a genuine fan of the show yeah. um, before I started writing. I loved it. And uh, yeah, I mean, when he first sort of come on and we were FaceTime and everything like that, <laughs> yeah, he, it's exactly what he did to me. <laughs> <laughs> did you think that this was all a prank for Joker somehow? Uh, a, a little it, bit, It yeah. still could be. Well, yeah. It still is. It's a, it's a three-book prank. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a lucrative prank. We actually <laughs> haven't sold a single book. It's all fake. HarperCollins is in on it. We just keep sending them to one <laughs> yeah. warehouse and that's just like... <laughs> Recycling the same books. Going. Same thousand books. <laughs> uh, a quick question: If you if you're from Manchester, uh, United or City? Uh, I I support neither of those teams. I know that's probably do. smart. Yeah, yeah, it's probably that. Um, uh, my family's from the northeast, and my team is Sunderland, and that's okay. even less smart. Uh, they're not a good side. I'm sorry you had to deal with Josie Altador for a long time. <laughs> you know, I saw you know, yeah, you saw, yeah. yeah uh, Everyone had, just tuned out for the soccer portion of the podcast. Yawning in the background. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just, we, call, we actually called him Josie Altadonkey. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. I love that. I'm a Wolverhampton fan for some oh, Wolves, reason. Yeah. So, oh, well, they yeah. had a good season. Congrats. It's been great. It's because I love Portugal. That's why I'm a Wolves fan. No, that's not actually <laughs> it. But more than half of their team is from Portugal now. Yeah. Um, those were all the like major questions that okay. I had. I always like to ask: Is there anything that you guys want to talk about that I didn't? Do you want to speak to that I didn't bring up? You know, the Brink is on sale in stores all across mm -hmm. the world. Uh, go to awakenednovel.com to pick up a copy or get an autographed copy, or anywhere books are sold, you can pick up a copy of the Brink. Yeah, yeah. Okay, um, what's this game you want to play? So this game that we're going to play is a uh, this little game that we're going to call Why Sci-Fi? Why? And what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you these titles to actual movies. These are really schlocky sci-fi horror at best B movies. And I want you guys to tell me what you think the plot is of these Ooh, movies fun. in so many words. And then Got I'll kind it. of let you know what it is afterwards and we'll see how close you guys Let's get. Let's do it. Yeah. Some of these you would think the title gives it away. Yeah. And you would be wrong. Um, so first... I want you to tell me the plot of the 1988 classic Rabid Grannies. Rabid Grannies? Rabid Grannies. <laughs> I feel like space is involved, right? <laughs> They're from outer space. I'm, I'm thinking uh, uh, zombie old ladies that come oh, out of the ground and the oh. rabbit that want to eat you. Oh, I thought they came from like a ship. They fit almost like a... Remember um, Cocoon? Yeah. The movie, that movie, right? It's like Cocoon. They, they come <laughs> to Earth. Rabbit. 
They, but they're but they you know they're rapid. <laughs> that was the tagline: cocoon, but bad. <laughs> yeah, bad, bad cocoon. <laughs> yeah, I feel like they came from outer space, land in, uh, in like let's say Hoboken, and uh, and they just cause chaos. They start biting people and giving them their old alien disease. Yeah, uh, you got aspects of that right. I'll say, uh, Rabid Grannies for Real is about two elderly sisters who, following a cursed present from an ostracized black sheep relative, turn into zombies and proceed to kill their family. Oh, oh you got the zombies yeah. right there. Yeah. 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 So the zombie part was absolutely correct. Yeah. I've not seen any of these movies yet, yeah. I'll say, but I no definitely uh, want to. Yeah. Um, <laughs> next, uh, who could forget that 1959 classic, The Tingler? Uh, can you guys tell me what happens in The Tingler? The Tingler. The Tingler, 1959. Yes, I mean, this is a classic. This yeah, is a classic. Right? I've yeah. seen it so many times. It's in the, the Congress Library of Films, yeah. The Tingler is, uh, uh, it's about, uh, what's his name that uh, was in the FBI? J. Edgar Hoover, <laughs> right? J. Edgar Hoover uh, and, uh, <laughs> and a time-traveling Susan Sarandon mm -hmm. go to the West Indies together to explore the Nile. None of this makes sense, I know, but it's a time travel warpathon. I I need to run with that. I can't say what I think it will be because I'll probably get into trouble. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, you're right too. That's part of it. Yeah. Uh, this one is maybe the one on the list that I actually kind of want to see now. Um, it is actually about a scientist who discovers a parasite inside of human beings' spines called a tingler, Ooh. which feeds on fear. And makes it so you can't scream. Oh my God! It's like a Nightmare on Elm Street meets uh, yeah. Uh, what, what's the uh, the movie came out with? It can't speak. Oh, d uh, a Quiet Place. A Quiet Place. Yeah, there yeah. It's kind of a mashup. I'll add. This is why I think it's kind of cool. Is that then like the Tinglers all get loose inside of a silent movie theater? Uh, is kind of the plot of that one. And it was used in a bunch of theaters that had the um, like the Honey I Shrunk the Kid ride where it had like the things like vibration built out. into the chairs. Wow, so that that's was the idea ahead of its time. That's I guess cool. it failed because uh, yeah. those chairs probably weren't cheap in 1959. Yeah, but, no. yeah, that's cool. So the Tingler, everybody can go uh, rent that. It's probably not possible. <laughs> go to right? your nearest blockbuster yeah. and rent it today. <laughs> go to Hollywood Video. Um, <laughs> our next one comes from 1977, and this movie is called. Deathbed. Deathbed. <laughs> Deathbed. Mm. I'm thinking um, it, it could possibly be um, somebody who's terminally ill decides to take revenge on the world. Oh. Oh. <laughs> I, see, I think it's different. Oh. I think it's um, a, a disgruntled employee from 1-800-MATTRESS <laughs> goes on a rampage around uh, uh, <laughs> the Lower East Side. That's it. <laughs> This one, uh, I, I think you guys would have been better to to think more literal. It's literally about a bed possessed by a demon. Nice, um, <laughs> nice. And the demon, while the demon is resting inside the bed, because why wouldn't you? It's a yeah, bed. Obviously, yeah. uh, it's safe to sleep on it. But once every ten years, the demon wakes up and gives the bed the power to physically eat human beings. Nice. <laughs> I don't nice. know how this movie was feature length, really. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't know what the complex is. Ten years. <laughs> what was that? It's such an arbitrary movie thing. <laughs> it's like I, I just don't know why you would get in the bed then after <laughs> yeah. after what no. happens to someone. Um, our next one. This is the oldest movie on the list. Uh, comes from 1943, and this is I Walked with a Zombie. Oh. No, this doesn't, like leave a a lot to the it doesn't leave a lot to the imagination for me. Mm -hmm. it's, it's like, did somebody just hang around, hang out with a zombie? 
You know, what's that uh, Keanu Reeves rom-com, A Walk in the Clouds, where he's in Italy, you know, and yeah. burns down the, the, the grapevines, whatever? Same thing. It's like a rom-com <laughs> in like a, in, in, in the, maybe the French countryside, right? And it's about a, what was the name of it again? I it's, Walked with a Zombie. Yes. It's about, a, it's, a, it's a, a, a menage a trois between a, 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 a vineyard grower, uh, a zombie, and, uh, and his wife. <laughs> what, the zombie's wife or the video? It's unclear to me. Okay. <laughs> they it's never like, answered that question in the movie. Okay. The other title was Eat, Pray, Love, Eat Brains. Like, that's <laughs> yeah. the, yeah. Um, this one actually is a romance in a sense. Right? I know <laughs> it's actually a retelling of Jane Eyre. Um, and it follows a nurse who travels to care for the ailing wife of a sugar plantation owner in the Caribbean where she encounters supernatural phenomena such as voodoo and The Walking Dead. So wow. it's like a voodoo zombie's but with uh, Jane Eyre sensibilities, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Which makes sense. That's already like the scariest old book to me ever. Yeah. yeah. Jane Eyre. Um, so we got one more for you. Last one. Here we go. We're I'm nailing a, it so far. We've got everyone, yeah, everyone yeah, right. Yeah, everyone's correct. Exactly. Perfect score. Uh, this one, I'm almost afraid that maybe one of you have seen it uh, just based on how ridiculous the name is. This is from 1988. Oh. And this is Sorority Babes in the Slimeball Bolorama. Have either, have either I, you, you know, heard of this film before? Yeah, I've heard of it. I've never seen it, but I mean, it's in the Slimeball Bolorama. Sorority Babes in the Slimeball Bolorama. I mean, it's got to be about sorority babes and they go bowling, but the Slimeball is the interesting one. You think it's a, uh, could it be like a, like a, what's the the goo? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking something like the creature from the Black Lagoon type thing. Yeah. Um, the slime ball bolorama. Slime ball bolorama. Yeah, yeah. So he's, he comes out with the, the bowling shoot and just uh, attacks those sorority girls. Oh, you think uh, bowling as opposed to like roller skating? What am I thinking? Roller skating? Wasn't a bolorama like a roller skating thing? No, I think it is a bowling. It is a bowling alley. Oh, yeah, no, I screwed that up. <laughs> is that so, why you kept getting thrown out yeah, of bolloramas as a child? Yeah, you just kept I kept taking... with roller skates on. <laughs> Uh, gosh, I, I mean, I feel like there's uh, some sorority babes in it. You are correct. There are some sorority <laughs> yeah. babes in it. Oh, man, this one this one takes some turns. Uh, so sorority pledges and a group of horny college boys uh -huh. um, go to a bowling alley to try to steal this bowling trophy. That's uh -huh. like a, they're like pledges. So it's like, I guess, what their initiation is. And when they try to steal... <laughs> This trophy, they accidentally release a wish-granting imp. Uh, do you want to <laughs> oh, guess what the name of the imp is? Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Slimeball? No. Uh, his name is Uncle Impy. We've all had an Uncle Impy. Yeah, I think we all have in our time. Uh, he's released, grants them wishes that then uh, like turn of on course. them, and everyone becomes decapitated. That's oh, basically nice. how it goes from nice. there. Uncle Impy. Yeah. What was, that what was the film we watched the other day? Um, I think it, just talking about titles. I think it was The Man Who Killed Bigfoot and Then Hitler. Oh, yes, yes. That's the name of it. The Man Who Killed Bigfoot, Then Hitler. Yeah. Is there a comma in there? No, or is no. It's full it's stop, like this, period. Yeah, it's, I was like, what? we had to watch it. We watched 10 minutes and we had to stop. <laughs> we, it turns out we didn't have to watch it. Yeah. yeah. I wonder if that is just like two movies that were shot that were short that they put together. Like, well, we've got the Bigfoot. I think it in the wrong order, too. I think he killed Hitler first, then Bigfoot. Yeah. <laughs> the Man Who Killed Hitler and then Bigfoot. Yeah. I know, I know that there are... Uh, there are some Nazis in the brink, right? There are. Yeah. Starts, so, uh, we do a flashback to World War II when uh, the, the father of our villain in the brink discovers the creatures of the first time in modern history. 
So is there a character who kills Bigfoot and then Hitler? And that, <laughs> what we're saying is that movie's ours. Yeah. We, we, that is our movie. We're trying to push it on this podcast secretly, hoping that people will watch it. Well, that was smart. That's we yeah. got a really wide yeah. reach who are who are you all know, movie there's producers. There's no good so. bad press. <laughs> so that was uh, why sci-fi wide. Thank you so much for playing. Thank you for having yeah. us. Thank you. And then thank you again, uh, James and Darren. This has been fantastic. I, uh, this was the best part of my week. No. Okay. They're not always this <laughs> right. fun. Really, it was just you guys. As soon guys, as we get out of the room, he's like, they're usually more fun. <laughs> as, as soon as you guys they're get not, out of the room. They're not usually this fun. They're usually much more fun. <laughs> as soon as you guys get out of the room, you're like, okay, we're scrapping that episode. Yeah. It's out. We, yeah. our, book, our book gets canceled. Our whole contract. <laughs> like, what? Oh, my God, the power this guy had. It's already, <laughs> like, I'm going to go into the Barnes & Noble and take them off of the shelves. People are going to be in line in the register and be like, nope, give me that. It's the first American book burning. <laughs> you know? <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll end on that note, I feel like. Thanks, man. That was fun. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you again to James S. Murray and Darren Wearmouth. Their new novel, The Brink, is on sale now. And before you buy it, we're going to start our audiobook clip portion of the podcast with The Brink. After that, you'll hear The Grand Dark by Richard Cadry and narrated by Vikas Adam. You might know Richard as the author of the Sandman Slim series. The Grand Dark is his new standalone dark fantasy novel that creates a totally new and exciting world full of creatures, drugs, robots, a theater where gruesome murders happen twice a day. You know, the usual stuff. Every week, the Harper Audio team has a production meeting where our team highlights audiobooks that are especially outstanding. And multiple members have been raving about this title for quite some time. So it's officially Harper Audio approved. Let's get to the clips. Enjoy. Mark set down two wine glasses on his kitchen counter. So far, the fourth date had gone perfectly. After three months of living in London, he had finally found a British girl who liked his Boston accent. He liked hers too. He had taken Imogene out for a lovely dinner. They had laughed at each other's jokes, two 20-somethings having a good time. They'd walked back to the warmth of his basement apartment on Westbourne Park Road and watched some Netflix. He wanted to watch a scary movie like The Descent or John Carpenter's The Thing. Nothing like a good horror flick to make the heart race faster and help break the touch barrier but she insisted they watch a popular hidden camera show starring these four guys from New York. As an aspiring stand-up comedian, he had to admit, the show was funny. It was getting late, almost midnight. He guessed she was staying over for the first time, but so far, it had gone unsaid. Mark uncorked a second vintage bottle of Chianti, letting out the rich aroma and poured two generous measures. He wanted to impress her. She worked for an investment bank in Canary Wharf, and despite her protestations, he could tell she had class. Old money with a type of cut-glass English accent reserved for those in high society. He wanted things to be perfect. Unfortunately, a faint sulfurous odor knocked away the scent of the wine, as if somebody had struck a match or something was burning. Mark frowned as he visually inspected the kitchen's electrical ports and appliances. Everything appeared fine. He had taken the garbage out, so it wasn't that either. Perhaps, he considered, the source was of a romantic nature. Imogene making the next move. He craned his head from the kitchen alcove to check if she had lit a candle. 
the TV screen bathed the dark room in a monochrome glow. In this light, Imogene looked even more like Charlize Theron, lounging on the leather couch in her purple dress. She looked stunning, but no lit candles. Do you smell that? He asked. Smell what? I don't know, burning. She shrugged. It only stinks of you in here. Mark smiled at her joke. He inhaled through his nostrils, trying to track the smell. He could still detect it, only slightly, but it was there, lingering in the air. Maybe Imogene was being polite by denying its existence. He had gotten a great rate on this basement apartment, especially given how old the building was, but he was now beginning to regret it. Technically, his studio apartment was actually in the converted sub-basement below the basement itself. There was no way it could be legal, but it was so very cheap. The lack of natural light was tough to deal with at times, but at moments like this, he wanted the place as dark and cozy as possible. A new episode began playing on the TV. Among four lifelong friends who compete to embarrass each other. Do you want to watch another one? He asked. Imogene rose from the couch. Her hand caressed his. Nah, let's go to bed. His heart raced even faster. He grabbed the TV remote control and switched it off. The room transformed to near darkness, and she led him to the bed. A lamp on the bedside table provided soft lighting. The comforter was folded in half on the lower end of the bed. Crisp white sheets and pillows covered the rest. He had arranged it immaculately in the hope of this moment. Mark spun to face her. She had slipped off her dress and was wearing fancy black lingerie. His heart skipped a beat. He moved toward her and reached out his hand to caress her face. Here goes nothing. The strange smell forgotten, he focused on the alluring, subtle floral scent of Imogene's perfume, which had driven him crazy all evening. He closed his eyes and leaned in to kiss her. Her soft lips made contact with his for the first time. The moment felt electric, exhilarating. She bit his lip lightly, and they both opened their eyes, smiling. They fell back onto the bed, intertwined in each other's arms. She pulled off his shirt. He nuzzled into her neck, kissing every inch of her skin there. She was easily the sexiest girl he'd ever kissed. He drew the comforter up over them, and their bodies moved in rhythm. Then the sound from the TV blurted in the room. Among four lifelong friends who compete to embarrass each other. They froze, peering into each other's eyes, and giggled. Sorry, he said. He reached out from under the covers and fumbled with the remote on the nightstand, hitting what he thought felt like the power button. The sound stopped. Silence returned to the room. He dove back into her neck, nibbling softly. Her breathing quickened as he made his way slowly down to her chest. He lifted the straps of her lingerie off her shoulders. Imogene peered into his eyes and gave him a seductive grin. Among four lifelong friends who compete to embarrass each other, the TV was even louder this time, making them both jump in fright under the covers. Oh, for fuck's sake, he said, confused. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. It is my favorite TV show. 
He grabbed the remote and sat up to face the TV. This time, he'd do it right. What the hell? He asked. She sat up to look. The room remained in near darkness. Nothing played on the TV screen. The two lay there in silence for a moment, baffled by the experience. Among four lifelong friends who compete to embarrass each other, the words again, even louder, the identical line as the previous two times, like it was being repeated over and over on a loop. But that was impossible because the TV was off. Unless the damn thing had broken, and that was the last thing he needed on a tight budget. He tracked the sound downward. It wasn't coming from the TV. In fact, the sound had come from underneath the bed. How could that be? Somebody had to be playing a cruel trick on him. Nothing else made sense. Whoever it was, their timing was awful. He peered over the side of the bed to investigate. It was too dark, though, and he couldn't see anything. He could smell sulfur again, stronger this time, and he was now firmly convinced one of his friends had somehow sabotaged his date. Furious, he leaned over to grab his cell to light underneath his bed when he heard, behind him, the sounds of ripping fabric and an odd gurgle. He spun back to face Imogene. A serrated black spike erupted out of her stomach a few inches below her bra. She let out an ear-splitting scream. She wrapped her hands around it, and the sight of the wriggling appendage made it seem as if she were controlling the thing that had burst through her torso. Blood pooled around her body and soaked into the white sheets as she stared at him with fear, confusion, and agony in her eyes. Chapter 1 The Great War was over, but everyone knew another war was coming, and it drove the city a little mad. Near dawn, Largo Morden pedaled his bicycle through the nearly deserted streets of Lower Perjava. It was exactly one week since his 21st birthday. Fog from the nearby bay and smoke from the armaments factory left the center of the city looking like a flat, ashen mirage. As Largo sped over the ore bridge, the edges of Gothic office buildings, dwellings, and cafes coalesced into view. Streetcars gliding atop silent magnetic tracks in the street and above old church spires, shadowy outlines a second before, solidified and were gone. At the bottom of the bridge, where Kreye Fala crossed Tomstrasse, a line of blind Mara delivery automata sat waiting for the crossing signal to change. Some of the larger contraptions, the black widows carrying machine parts for the factory, resembled wrought iron spiders the size of pushcarts, while the little tea and breakfast Maras were wooden bread boxes decorated with wings and carvings of flying women. Largo was tempted to veer into the line of machines and kick over one or two of the smaller ones. He knew that some day soon, the Maras were going to put human couriers like him out of business. Each time he thought about it, a little wave of panic bubbled up from his stomach because, aside from a strong set of legs, the only things Largo possessed that were worth money were his bicycle and an encyclopedic knowledge of every street and alley in the city. 
To Largo's surprise, while the crossing signal still read, Halt, one of the little winged bread boxes crept past the other Maras and whirred quietly across Kreye Fala. With a mechanical rumble, a squat armored juggernaut carrying soldiers sped around a corner and crushed the bread box under its metal treads without slowing. All that was left of the little carrier were a small motor sputtering blue sparks, splinters, and a flattened sandwich. Largo hadn't eaten for a day, and the sight of food made him hungry. Still, he smiled. Indeed, the blind Maras would put him out of business one day, but not today, and not for many days to come. When the signal clicked to proceed, he guided his bicycle through the remains left in the intersection as the rest of the automata split up, carrying their goods all over Lower Perjava. The clock over the Great Triumphal Square, renamed, perhaps a touch optimistically after the war, showed that it was just a few minutes before six. Largo had spent far too long in bed that morning with Remy, his lover, but it was so hard to leave her. He bent over his handlebars, pedaling faster, knowing all too well that being late at the beginning of the work week was a good way to have Herr Branca snapping at you until Friday. Worse, it could result in a humiliating dismissal. The edges of the plaza were coming to life. Bakers laid out loaves and pies in the windows of their shops. The newspaper kiosk attendant by the underground tram station cut open piles of tabloid yellow sheets full of political intrigue and reports of the previous night's murders. All-night revelers wandered through the square, still jubilantly drunk from the evening before. Along the gutters, purring pig-like chimeras cleared the street trash by devouring it. Beyond the edges of the plaza, prostitutes flirted with men in strange masks made of steel and leather. Iron dandies, they were called, but never where they could hear it. They were war veterans, considered too disfigured to be glimpsed by the city's ordinary citizens, Largo among them. He'd heard that if you stared too long at a dandy, he'd rip his mask off, giving you a good look at his mutilated face. Seeing a dandy that way was considered bad luck. Bad luck or no, the truth was that Largo didn't want to see what was under the masks or think about how the wounds or the war itself had happened. He just put his head down, pedaled harder, and arrived panting at the courier service as the plaza clock rang six. Dropping his bicycle next to those of the other couriers, Largo ran up the stairs to the office and made it inside before the head dispatcher, Herr Branca, noticed his tardiness. He lingered at the back behind the other messengers so that his supervisor wouldn't see him sweating. Herr Branca was a burly man, one of the strange sort who seemed to have been born old. None of the couriers knew his age, but depending on the season and whether he'd shaved or not, they guessed it to be anywhere from thirty to sixty. He wore the same thing every day pinstriped pants, matching vest, and a white shirt with an old-fashioned starched collar that he left open except when visiting their superiors. The bottom button on his vest was always missing. This could mean only one of two things, that Herr Branca was an eccentric who cut the bottom button off all of his vests, or that a second vest was beyond his means. 
No one at the service took Branka for an eccentric, so that had to mean their supervisor was so poorly paid that his choice in clothes was no better than the courier's. This possibility always depressed Largo. He liked being a courier, but if Herr Branka was his future, perhaps it was time to make other plans. But what? Different futures weren't easy to come by in Lower Perjava. As he did every morning, Branka leaned heavily on a standing desk, shouting names and the addresses where couriers were to go while old battered Maras handed them whatever documents or parcels they were to deliver. When Branka had called most of the morning's deliveries and the room was nearly empty, Parvulesco, Largo's closest friend at the service, gave him a worried look as he carried a parcel out the door. Largo shrugged. Maybe Branca had seen him come in late and was keeping him back for a good talking to. There was nothing to do but wait and endure what was coming. Parvulesco mouthed, good luck, before heading out. Soon, everyone else had been given an assignment, and it was just Largo and Herr Branca. The supervisor didn't look up for two or three minutes as he took his time filling out a small pile of paperwork. As the seconds ticked by, Largo imagined all sorts of scenarios. A simple dressing down, having his pay docked. Maybe he'd even be fired. He stood still, hoping to not draw attention to himself, but after a couple more minutes passed, he couldn't stand it anymore. He cleared his throat. Do you have a cold, Largo? said Herr Branca. If so, Kindly keep your distance, as it would be inconvenient for me to be ill at this time. He spoke quietly. Branca always spoke quietly, no matter the topic or circumstances. The couriers joked that if he were an executioner, you'd never know he was there until your head was on the ground. No, sir, it's nothing like that. I was just wondering if... If I noticed you come in late, then hide in the back like a cockroach from the light... Yes, Largo said. Something like that. Herr Branca looked up wearily. Rest easy, Largo. While you were tardy and more than a bit insectile in your earlier behavior, you're not going to be fired. In fact, you're being promoted. Largo frowned, afraid he'd misheard his supervisor. Promoted? Branca set down his pen and sighed. You're aware of the word, aren't you? It's a verb meaning to advance in rank, to ascend to a higher position. Must I explain it further? No, sir. It's just that it's a bit unexpected. Quite. Harper Audio Presents is a presentation of HarperCollins Publishers. Our staff includes Beth Ives, Fametta Sawyer, Nathan Rossborough, and me, Andrew Caberline. Follow us on Instagram at HarperAudio and reach out to us on Twitter at HarperAudio Presents.